Why do you support refugees? I support refugees because my family were refugees. I support refugees because we are all God's children and we all deserve a safe place to grow in God's love. I support refugees because God made us all in God's image. I support refugees because I am a legal guardian of a minor asylee named Carol from Burundi. I support refugees because my Lord was a refugee. Because I welcome and I love my neighbor. Hi, and welcome to Hometown, a podcast from Episcopal Migration Ministries, the Refugee Resettlement and Welcome Ministry of the Episcopal Church. I'm Kendall Martin. And I'm Allison Duvall. We are joined today by the Right Reverend David Rice, Diocesan Bishop, and Tom Hampson, both from the Diocese of San Joaquin. Bishop David was formerly the Diocesan Bishop in the Diocese of Waiapu in the Anglican Church of Aotearoa, New Zealand, in Polynesia. Prior to David's consecration as the 15th Bishop of Waiapu, he was Dean of the Cathedral of St. Paul's in the Diocese of Dunedin in New Zealand. And before David's deanship, he was vicar of Mount Herbert Parish on Banks Peninsula in the Diocese of Christchurch, also in New Zealand. David became an Anglican priest in 1997. Prior to that, he was a United Methodist minister. David has been involved in the ministry with young people for many years. He was the youth liaison bishop representing the House of Bishops in the youth scene in the Three Tikanga or Cultures Church in New Zealand. Equally, David is a strong ecumenist and has a history of exploring ways in which the church can be far more collaborative and collegial across denominations and faiths. David also has a heart for social justice ministry and continues to seek ways in which the church can join with all of God's people wherever they are. Tom Hampson is co-chair of the Immigration Task Force for the Episcopal Diocese of San Joaquin. He's also a candidate to the diaconate and will complete his studies at the School for Deacons at Church Divinity School of the Pacific next month. Presently retired, Tom worked for Church World Service for 31 years in the areas of constituent education, marketing, and fundraising. We are excited to talk to Bishop David and Tom about SJ Rays, the Immigration Task Force in the Diocese of San Joaquin, and the upcoming Pilgrimage of Hope. First, we hope you enjoy this week's reflection from Bishop David Rice. Good day, everyone. Bishop David Rice here from the Episcopal Diocese of San Joaquin. I bring you Easter greetings. I have always been curious about the empty tomb and the significance of that symbol for the church, what it says about our faith and our lives, what it says about the human condition. I attended my first Al-Anon meeting over 30 years ago. We have addiction in my family of origin, and so I thought that coming to terms with what that means for me was important early on. And so I've been engaging with 12-step processes again for the last three decades. What I've discovered and what I think I know about addiction and living with addiction is that there's an emptiness, perhaps an emptiness that we all experience, a void, if you will. And unfortunately, For those with the disease of addiction, they fill that void with things which become detrimental to their lives. The question for all of us is, what do we put in those voids, those vacant places in our lives? Do we fill them with things that are good for us, things that give us life, things that substantiate the hope that, well, perhaps we can experience? It seems to me that's part of what the empty tomb symbolizes. And the question for us, the question for us as an Easter people, as a people of the resurrection, as the people who know that that empty tomb means that Jesus lives, 
which means that we live, is to what extent are we willing to help to fill the absences and the voids and those empty spaces for those we encounter in their lives to make a difference, to make sure everybody has enough, to make sure that those spaces are being filled with that which is good, right, and holy. It seems to me that's part of our Easter mandate, our Easter reality, part of what we're called to do and be as people of Jesus in this Jesus movement. So again, I bring you blessings, and I hope that we continue to live out this Easter reality to which we are called to be in the days before us. Take care, everybody. Cheers. We're joined today by the Right Reverend David C. Rice, the Diocesan Bishop in the Episcopal Diocese of San Joaquin, and Tom Hampson, co-chair of the Immigration Task Force for the Episcopal Diocese of San Joaquin, S.J. Reyes, Refugee and Immigrant Support and Empowerment. Thank you so much for joining us. Our pleasure. And I think this is the first time we've had a diocesan bishop on the podcast. So Bishop David, thank you so much for testing the water. Oh, you too, my deepest condolences. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, the first question we'd love to ask you is, it's only been in the last 10 years that we've seen churches and dioceses refer to themselves as missional. And that term has a lot of different meanings, depending on the context and the local, the local diocese and congregation. So we'd love to know more about how the Diocese of San Joaquin views the focus on missional ministry and how immigration fits under that. Thank you. I'm, I'm not 100% sure about this, but I think that if we're being uh, to use a, a word my wife typically uses. If we're being pernickety and we look in the Oxford Dictionary, we're not going to see the word missional. So what that suggests to me is it's not exactly a proper word, but it's a word that has um, received significant ink, as you suggested in your, your query, uh, and rightly so. So whether we're talking about all things missional or we're talking about missiology, we are talking about the ways in which the church engages in its larger context. Uh, the way uh, we talk about in this context, that is the Episcopal Diocese of San Joaquin, the way we're becoming church. So I need to ask that you give me a bit of um, leeway here. I need to give a bit of background uh, before I talk about where we are, and I, ho I hope that's okay. When we arrived five years ago from Aotearoa, New Zealand, almost immediately after our arrival, we had a clergy conference. And at that clergy conference, uh, I sat down during the Eucharist in my homily, and to my 45, 50 gathered clergy, I asked them this rhetorical question. I said, I'm interested in knowing about your relationships. Please tell me about your relationships. And everybody, it was like looking at deer in headlights. They had little knowledge about that which I spoke. And I paused in a caring, sharing Episcopal manner, and I said to them, then and there, again, being a newbie fresh off the press, I need you to hold on because things are going to change quickly. I need you to hold on to your hats. And in some respects, this may be painful, and in other respects, it will be exciting. And so what I did is I named the people that I would get to know immediately upon a, arriving in a new place, regardless of what I was doing. As I did this as a parish priest, as a cathedral dean and a diocesan bishop, and again in New Zealand as well as the United States. So I mentioned, you know, getting to know the new mayor or the principal or whatever stakeholder you might imagine. And again, it was like looking at deer in headlights. So 
we have worked diligently, intentionally, worked really hard over the last five years in getting to know our contexts, getting to know our neighborhoods, getting to, to know the people who reside in those places, and with equal importance, everyone, hearing the voices, the stories of those who reside there. Now, the other part of our background, and this is a, a by way of explanation, we're dealing with two things in this context. One is that we had, you know, a rather substantive split a decade ago. Yeah. Uh, and, and we are dealing with and endeavoring to address the layers of pathology that go along with that sort of major disruption. In addition to this, and Tom knows enough about this as a relative newcomer as am I, is that before that split, this was a diocese that operated in isolation. It's one of the reasons the split became possible. So silos were alive and unwell. They resided in those silos and they minimized relationships because that allowed them to keep those silos alive and unwell. So you give those two things together. What I'm suggesting everyone is this is a project mm -hmm. uh, in which we're engaged and it's new for us. Everything we do, we essentially do for the first time. And so the relationships we're building, the missiological relationships in which we're engaging, the voices about which I spoke that we're hearing, we're hearing those for the first time. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, this is endeavoring to make up for old ground, lost ground, if you will. And I don't know if one ever makes that up, but we're also doing something that we know takes a long time. It takes generations to build those relationships and to emerge in the ways that we are. I typically say that I don't know the extent to which we've scratched the surface, but we found the surface. And we know that we have a long ways to go. I'm convinced, everyone, that this missiological roadmap is the future of the Episcopal Church. It's the future of the of diocese throughout the Episcopal Church. And as we continue to travel light uh, in this diocese, I think we're providing a roadmap, dare I say, for the rest of the church to follow. Well, and can you talk a little bit about in your understanding of building relationships and like you said, reaching out to stakeholders, kind of making the church a vital citizen wherever it finds itself, how immigration fits into your understanding of this culture change and this missiological zeal, I, I could say, that's taking place yeah, in San Martin. Yeah, and Allison Shears, that's a really important query. Thank you, it's spot on. So first of all, as I identified, getting to know those neighborhoods, getting to know the context and those who reside there, that's, that's a full-time job. Mm -hmm. um, and it is, it is who we say we are ecclesiologically, theologically. It's who we say we are as human beings living out our, our baptismal vows. A part of that is knowing what our landscape offers. So, I mean, I would venture to say this missiologically. The Episcopal Church is not going to be one size fits all. Context where the Episcopal Church exists, defines and dictates what the Episcopal Church is gonna look like. I hope that makes sense to everybody. And so let's talk about our context. This, this patch of territory we've inherited. This is the Central Valley of California. It is um, highly agricultural. We have high country Sierras. And again, populations about whom we have known little in the past. And again, we're endeavoring to rectify that. So let me give an example of how we're doing that. The Pilgrimage of Hope is, in a sense, a continuation of something we did in, in 2015. As Tom would tell you, in 2015, we engaged in what was called uh, the Tour Against Trafficking. 
we realized upon coming to know our context better that the Central Valley of California is a major thoroughfare for sex and labor trafficking. And that's connected to California having three of the top 10 cities where trafficking is alive and unwell, San Diego, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. And so I started asking the question throughout the diocese, tell me what you know about trafficking. And what I realized about well-intended Episcopalians, we knew nothing. So we did educative work for nine to 12 months, as Tom would tell you. And then we did a, about a 23-day um, bicycle tour, which was a, a lovely outward invisible sign of endeavoring to make a difference in this missiological template, raising money for agencies up and down the valley, working with survivors of trafficking, uh, and saying that's, this is who we are as a diocese. This pilgrimage is much the same thing. Now, Allison, back to your query about immigration. We realize that in many of our places, we are, and Tom would have probably um, firmer figures than I, we are between 50 and 65% uh, Latino Latinas. Mm. And, and we have, I think, if these numbers are correct, probably around 2.8 million undocumented people in the state of California many of whom I would venture to say reside in this place called the Episcopal Diocese of San Joaquin. Everyone, that is our context. That is our call. And those are the voices that we must hear, not presume that we know what they're saying, but that requires relationship. We're not naive. We know that this pilgrimage and the educative pieces that we're doing leading up to this pilgrimage, and the pilgrimage is about education too, again, is only a beginning. And we know that we have significant gospel work in front of us, and we think this is a really good start. Absolutely. Well, so that leads me to the next question, um, which is the Immigration Task Force that was established in the fall of 2017 at the San Joaquin Diocesan Convention. I'd be interested to hear what the process was for developing and approving that task force. I mean, in part, you know, the, the impetus for the creation of the task force, the proposal that, that generated it, arose out of that discernment of what our context was and the needs that were present there, particularly among really among the most vulnerable uh, segment of the population in the Central Valley, who are uh, immigrants, especially undocumented immigrants, with the idea that there would be a, a particular action that we'd be seeking on behalf of our convention. There was a fairly strategically conceived plan to educate the diocese, both through articles that appeared regularly in the diocesan newsletter, discussions that were happening at the deanery level, and conversations that happened in uh, clericus meetings with the clergy about this issue that really kind of came together at our diocesan convention in 2017. Jamie Acton Edwards and Francisco Garcia, who were the immigration task force leaders for the LA diocese, present and resource people for that event, and helped to really educate our entire convention about this issue. And as a result, when the actual resolution came before the convention, the result was a unanimous endorsement of the creation of the task force. It was a, a remarkable example of consensus that had been built over the previous probably eight to 12 months. Indeed, and Tom, sorry to break the cue. So Tom's description is spot on. And I have to say, you know, I've been to Ossison, uh, in two different dioceses in two different hemispheres. I've never experienced a resolution that was unanimous in that manner, ever. 
And it was extraordinary. And in particular for a startup emerging diocese as, as is ours. The other thing that Tom would say to you is that in that same year, we had revival with, with our PB, with, with Michael, which was you know, absolutely extraordinary. And you know, whenever you hang out with Michael, it is that way. Thank you, Jesus. And, and what we did, uh, which would not be a surprise to anyone here, is we, we named as a theme to that revival, call to be, dot, 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 a safe place for all of God's people. And, and here's what we did. Again, this is about our learnings as an emerging diocese. And I, I need to go back to 15 for a moment. In 15, the real game changer during the tour against trafficking was to hear the stories of survivor of trafficking, the stories of those who were survivors. And, and we did that in 19 different centers up and down the diocese. That's what changed hearts. That's what fostered the work of the Holy Spirit to move things down the track, eh, Tom? I mean, it was, it was really extraordinary. And, and the reason I'm recounting that is that when we had revival in 17, we did the same thing. Wherever Michael was, we had undocumented immigrants. We had uh, dreamers. We had people there to tell their stories. And again, that's where you saw the, the, the needle begin to move, as it were. You saw hearts being uh, molded by a new way of thinking because they were hearing those stories. The reason I'm adding that part of the account is as Tom reflects on that diocesan convention, again, where we had this wonderfully unanimous resolution, there were things that built up to that, to make that consensus possible, and to which I am eternally grateful. Well, and it sounds like the evolution from 2015 to 2017 was very much based in, in relationships built through storytelling and getting to know one another in a more deep way. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about the impact that that process may have had on the evolution of the task force into SJ Rays and kind of brought us to, brought you to today. Well, and Allison, let me, let me give you another piece of the puzzle, too, which says something about our brief history since my arrival, and then Tom can pick up on this. And everyone, this goes again with the theme of once you allow yourself to hear the story of the other, then extraordinary things happen. When we arrived in 14, the other thing I did in my first six months is I started asking the question, again, of well-intended Episcopalians, tell me about people who live on the streets in this valley. Now, wait for it. The responses I heard included, we don't know anybody, and furthermore, we don't think anybody lives on our streets. And I said, wow. So we do have substantive work to do. So to abbreviate that narrative, what we did is, you know those little cloth backpacks you see young people carry that they have a tie string on them? We started purchasing those for our local communities, and we invited them to put things in them that they thought people might need who live on the streets. Now, here's what I said to them, is I said, don't presume you know what they need. See someone who lives on the street, stop, engage them, and say, what can we do for you? And so we started with those conversations, and we started filling up those bags. Five years later, we've given out 10,000 of those bags, 10,000 yellow backpacks with toiletries and you name it, whatever's in those. And then the other part, and this was the really cool part, is we invited Episcopalians to tell stories of the bag. And those stories were stories of encounters they had with other human beings who, the, who were the recipients of those bags. So Alice and I recount that to, again, fortify and highlight that these stories have become everything for us. 
these stories are the stories that people reread about in the Gospels. Those stories are the gospel continuing on to this day in this 21st century in which we find ourselves and in this place called San Joaquin. I am completely convinced that those stories that we continue to hear make for the emergence of this diocese in the days before us and are the, one of the reasons that we're doing this pilgrimage of hope next month. I love that. And Tom, I wonder if you could pick up on the talking about SJ Rays and sure. how all of this movement and all this work has brought, brought that to bear. Well, I think in some ways, S.J. Ray's, you know, the, is, which is sort of the way we articulate the, the work of the task force, functions as an opportunity to have those sorts of encounters that the bishop is talking about. As we've been working over the last year, year and a half, when we initiated the, uh, the task force, we realized that part of what we needed to do was to educate ourselves. And that meant in part just getting more familiar with this very difficult and complicated issue. But it also meant, you know, stepping outside our comfort zones to in engaging with folks who are most vulnerable. We were very fortunate as we looked to partners with whom to identify that a group called Faith in the Valley, which is a PICO-affiliated group, has been working very vigorously on behalf of immigrants in the San Joaquin Valley, became a, a very uh, valued partner to us. They have now some of their offices in our churches. But through them, we were able to have, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversations with people who were looking at having family members deported. We began accompanying them to courtrooms, uh, to ICE headquarters, to really have a one-on-one -on -one and kind of personal experience with what these people deal with every day. We began hosting Know Your Rights trainings with them as facilitators, and through that effort, create help to create a Valley Watch network where folks are alerted if there's an ICE raid at a workplace or at a home to go and not intervene, but to document and provide that information to legal resources, which would be helping those folks with their defense. And I have to say, as, as one who, who's done that, it's a transformative experience to see, you know, a family being torn apart. Or uh, as uh, Bishop David can attest, during the General Convention, you know, there was a, a collective witness to the Huto Detention Center. And standing outside those walls, seeing people waving back the call, you know, we hear you, we see you. One of the, the most personally moving things was accompanying a woman in a courtroom where we could not speak to each other, but she knew why I was there, that I was on her, you know, there for her, and be able to see each other and, and to recognize that she was not alone in that place. That's that changes the way you look at an issue, that changes the way you think of the issue, because it stops being an issue and it starts being a person, yeah. a person who's beloved by God, who's a brother or a sister. Thank you, Tom. I think that really speaks to what Bishop David was saying about storytelling and even you sharing that story. It's so powerful. That's really how people change their heart and their mind about this issue. So yep, absolutely. So for our listeners, a little bit of information about the Pilgrimage of Hope uh, begins May 4th, following Eucharist and a blessing at St. James Cathedral in Fresno. And this pilgrimage will be taking pilgrims from Fresno to Sacramento, where they will converge with other faith communities, immigrants, and concerned citizens on May 20th 
at the state capitol to celebrate the gifts and contributions that our immigrant brothers and sisters bring to our communities and to champion and advocate for immigrant rights. So we'd love to know how the idea for this pilgrimage came about. Sure. Well, when we get together, uh, it's, it's always a dangerous thing. Uh, lots of it's, a very, it's a very have. dangerous thing. Yes. And we had a retreat with the task force, the S.J. Ray's crowd, and Bishop David was there. And as our resource people, we had Francisco Garcia and Jamie uh, Edwards-Acton from uh, L.A. as kind of facilitators. And toward the end of that conversation, we began to think about some kind of collective action that would be a means of drawing public attention and getting feet on the ground, as, as you might say. We didn't quite finalize what that might be. That waited until we had a, our uh, clergy conference uh, where Bishop David basically said, where should we walk? And the, uh, the suggestion was, we'll walk to Sacramento. Mm. And out of that, I mean, literally, he, he turned to our, our canon and the dean and he said, okay, let's, let's do this. Let's make this happen. <laughs> and they had a little bit of that, you know, deer in the headlights look, I have to say at that moment. But we've been working very vigorously over the last few months to pull this together. You know, over 14, 15 days or so, uh, the itinerary is set uh, on our website. You can see all the stops along the way. Each evening there will be a public event, and both an educational event as well as an evening prayer service to try to pull in local resources and local experience to talk about immigrants in those communities. The, I will say the response of those communities has been great. I've been mostly involved in the Stockton community. The mayor of Stockton is going to come participate with us. The city awesome. council is passing a resolution endorsing the pilgrimage. So we've seen a lot of public support. And it's also an example of the relationship building that, that Bishop David was talking about at the very beginning, about linking with your public officials to be a public presence, not just a, a private worship space. Indeed. Uh, so, something to add to Tom's words. Thanks, Tom. And I've used this before. I used it in 15. There's a, there's a concept in Māoridom. Um, the Māori are the indigenous people of, of New Zealand, the Tangata Whenua. And they have a concept, you two, called hikoi, H-I-K-O-I. And loosely translated, a hikoi is intentional movement with a purpose. Uh, this pilgrimage of hope is a hikoi. Mm -hmm. It is an intentional movement for 16 days, and God knows it has purpose. You know, and we've talked about the purpose. We've talked about hearing the stories and what those stories have prompted us to do and how we continue to live in and through that, and that we need to hear more of those stories. And it also is a hikoi about engaging with lawmakers, with legislators, and, and saying to them that we have a gospel imperative, a mandate, that prompts us to talk about the way of love, Jesus movement, and how some of our policies seem antithetical to those ways. And the, the one about which we speak is one of those. And then on a lighter side, I, I need to say, because I was speaking with my brother a half hour ago who lives on the East Coast. He's coming to walk with me for those 16 days. And we both identified we don't have walking shoes yet. So <laughs> I need to go out and get some walking shoes and start walking because 
we're going to be averaging between, I don't know, Tom, 12 and 16, 17 yep. miles a day. There's yep. going to be a lot of walking involved in this. So I need to get out there. And what, how, what's the full mileage? Oh, from Fresno to Sacramento? That's a good question. I, I would guess a couple hundred at least. Yeah, I, I heard the, the number 160. I don't have it in front of me, but it is, we're doing a few Ks, or as you say here, a few miles. So, <laughs> yeah, you got to get walking. <laughs> I, I know. I hear you, sister. I'm in trouble. I mean, you know, I did a bike race on the weekend, 100 miles, but that's not walking 17. My back hurts already thinking about it. My back hurts for you. <laughs> so I'd love to hear about your hopes for this pilgrimage. And I'm also personally interested if this will happen again. Um, but hopes for this one. As, as I said before and indicated, given the history of this diocese and certainly the, the recent history, this needs to be, must be an awareness raising event. That's, that's one part of this, that, that we need to allow ourselves to hear the story of the other, and then to be open-hearted enough that we perhaps rethink our thinking in the ways in which we have typically engaged or not engaged. The second part of this is, this needs to be a prayerful hikoi. This needs to be a spiritual pilgrimage. And so one of the things Tom would tell you, because he's involved in this design, is that we will be stopping every, I don't know, five, eight kilometers for intentional prayer, there will be a reflections along the way. This will be pilgrimage as they should be designed. Uh, and we will have worship when we arrive and we'll have hospitality. The word is manakitanga from the indigenous people of New Zealand. And so there's community building in this as well. There's no question about that. And all dioceses, I think, need that. Last thing I'll say about it, and then again, Tom will, will wade in, is that this is also about building those aforementioned relationships. I believe, and there've been, there's been every indication to suggest this is the case, we're going to have all sorts of mates come with us. Friends and partners walk with us along the way. And here's the other thing, and this is really important. This is a labor-intensive exercise. This is a hikoi of love. It's not going to be designed, built for everybody. There are some people who will not be able to walk with us even one kilometer, but people can walk from home. So we have booklets available for people who can follow along with us. And so the hikoi can take place where they are because we think full participation from anybody and everybody is of vital importance here. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think we are going to be building relationships along the way with the groups, some of whom we've known and some of whom we have not known until we make this pilgrimage. I think in terms of you know, people at a distance, you know, we would welcome their participation through keeping us in their prayers. We'll be selling these uh, booklets that uh, are sort of the, the framework for our, our meditation along the way. If you go on to the website for the pilgrimage, you'll see we're not only raising funds to help defray the costs of the pilgrimage, but we're also trying to raise funds to assist with legal defense costs of undocumented people. This is particularly sort of funneled through our partner, Faith in the Valley. But as I'm sure you know, the legal defense of folks who are undocumented is not provided by any uh, governmental money that has to be provided either by the immigrant themselves or by some supportive organization. So uh, often uh, immigrants are in court by themselves and sometimes even children are facing their deportation hearings by themselves. So uh, whatever we can do to assist them so they have decent legal 
representation is also a very important part of the work that we're trying to uh, engage in. Um, Kendall, Allison, there's something else too that I, I want to hasten to insert. Thank you, Tom. Oh, by the way, you can buy hats and t-shirts. I say this often. The Episcopal Church is not an extension of the Democratic Party. Right. What we are doing from the 4th of May through the 20th of May is not about red or blue. It is, it is the deep abiding belief that Jesus speaks into every part of our lives. And as Jesus does that, we have the responsibility of speaking into every part of everyone's life. And that sometimes means that we challenge the systems which may be broken or which may be dysfunctional or which may be oppressive and need to be challenged. And that's what we believe we're doing. We believe we're opening up the Book of Common Prayer to 299 and we're living out our baptismal liturgy in this pilgrimage. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. Now, will there be folks on this pilgrimage making posting reflections or, or any, any place things that will be shared for us to follow along with? You bet. Uh, we, on our Facebook page, uh, we'll be posting things. We'll probably be doing some live streaming along the way, posting things on our Twitter account. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel where we're posting some of our videos, both about the pilgrimage and about uh, some of the reasons why these immigrants are coming. We did a, a webinar on that subject uh, back in December. So yes, through various kind of social media channels, we'll be uh, uh, lifting up both the experience of the, the pilgrimage, uh, reflections on the pilgrimage, and some of the, the actual experiences. So we, we hope you'll uh, keep track of us along the way. Well, and listeners, we will put the website, all the social media handles, and all the platforms that are associated with the Pilgrimage of Hope and SJ Rays into the podcast notes, as well as on the blog post that accompanies this episode. Um, gentlemen, Bishop and Tom, we cannot thank you enough for your time today. This has been a really wonderful conversation. Oh, well, thank you so much. Indeed, it's been our pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Learn more about the Pilgrimage of Hope and how you can get involved at www.thepilgrimageofhope.org. Follow along on Twitter and Instagram at sjrays. We invite you to join us for an event hosted by both the Episcopal Church Office of Government Relations and Episcopal Migration Ministries called Love God, Love Neighbor, Advocacy in Action. This two-day gathering, June 27th and 28th in Washington, D.C., will provide both messaging and advocacy training, as well as a full day on the Hill advocating on behalf of refugees and the Refugee Resettlement Program. Learn more at EpiscopalMigrationMinistries.org forward slash LGLN. Have a question about how to be most helpful in serving refugees, immigrants, and asylum seekers? Are you interested in sharing your work or your congregation's work? Are you eager to make connections with other people who are doing the same kind of work and to learn from one another? Join Partners in Welcome, a free online learning community that offers a chance for engaging in conversation, connection with people from all over the country who care about these issues, and a wealth of resources and learning opportunities. We have so much to gain from sharing information, experiences, and learnings with one another. Sign up today at EpiscopalMigrationMinistries.org forward slash Partners in Welcome. Follow EMM on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we are EMM Refugees. Join in the work of Welcome by making a donation to Episcopal Migration Ministries. 
No gift is too small and all are put to use to welcome our newest neighbors. Visit EpiscopalMigrationMinistries.org forward slash give or text hometown to 91999. Our theme song composer is Abraham Mwenda Ikondo. Find his music at AbrahamMwendaMusic.com. Until next time, peace be with you and all those you consider home.